So what I learned from all of those businesses is there's no unicorn business. The unicorn business is how you create and run your business. So any business can build the lifestyle you want as long as you set it up correctly. Hey, this is Heath Padgett. Welcome to the RV Entrepreneur Podcast, episode 194. The RV Entrepreneur is a weekly podcast for nomadic entrepreneurs. And on today's episode, I'm interviewing my good friend, Danny, who will actually be speaking at our upcoming RV Entrepreneur Summit. And we're talking about creating processes in your business, something that's actually very important if you are traveling around the country in an RV and managing a company and employees, and in Danny's case, many kids from your RV. So those are a few of the things that we're going to be talking about in today's episode. Specifically, we get into Danny's story and her serial entrepreneurship tendencies, how she couldn't quote unquote, follow through with many of her businesses in the past, how she was able to sell her web hosting business in our RV Entrepreneur Facebook group, which is kind of a funny little story, and what types of businesses lend themselves well to systems. One specific thing that Danny and I talked about in this episode that has just been one of those ideas that have stuck in my head over the past month or two since our chat, because this episode is a bit delayed and it's being released is the idea that you can turn almost any business into a unicorn business or your unicorn business. A lot of times you hear companies out in Silicon Valley talking about unicorns and typically it's a term that investors use, you know, to find a unicorn type company. An Uber or a Facebook is a unicorn, you know, very very rare. Although actually it's probably a bad description because unicorns don't really exist. Anyway, this is something that Danny brought up at this episode that we were kind of getting into some of the businesses that seem to lend themselves better to people who travel full time. Things like blogging or drop shipping on Amazon and things like that. But Danny also gets into how there are other businesses that you may not think of, like coaching or highly intensive services based businesses that you can run remotely. And if you have the right processes, they can still be a really good business to operate remotely and still have a lot of free time. And so I've just been thinking about this a lot because I've kind of always felt like there are some businesses that are really good for running remotely and other ones you should probably have to be in one place because it's very client facing and for all these other reasons. And so Danny is kind of coming on the podcast today to displace some of those fears and assumptions that you might have about which businesses are better for running remotely. I think you guys are really going to enjoy this episode, and let's get into today's episode with Danny. Danny, thanks for coming to the podcast. <laughs> thanks for having me, Heath. I'm excited to be here. You bet. This is not our second take to do this interview. No. <laughs> no, not at all. The way I want to kick this off is just ask you, if you just met somebody today, how would you share your story? Oh, well... That's kind of a, a windy story, getting into RVing, because I guess that's kind of, I feel like that's like when my story started over. So, you know, for those that aren't familiar with me, I have five kids, husband, dog, uh, we live in a 37 foot trailer, and we like to say that we have a life before RVing, and then we have a life since RVing that's very, very drastic and different. We did the whole, the American dream, the buy the house, have the jobs, stay at home wife, have all the kids, obviously all the kids. And one night laying in our beautiful house in Michigan, just like bursting into tears because I hated it. Like we'd done all the things. We were supposed to be so excited. We finally bought our first house and realizing I hated it. Like immediately you hated it? 
within six months. Wow. What was it about that you didn't like? The cost, like not just money, but like opportunity cost, not being able to travel the job that my husband had to have for us to afford the house meant we couldn't, he couldn't go anywhere, do anything was like, had to be within a certain radius of his office at all times. It was terrible. And my business at the time too, I had a web hosting business. I was also chained to my laptop. So like the things that we had to do to support that American dream didn't allow us to do the things we really wanted to do. We'd started homeschooling right before we bought the house. And so we'd already kind of experienced a little bit of that freedom of not being tied to like kids have to be at school at this time and we had to pick them up at this time. So then having kind of the, the ball and chain of the house and all the things it took to run it, all the time to clean it, all the money to you know keep the house going, like I hated it. I felt trapped. And as a, I was doing travel blogging at the time too, so I was gone a lot, but nobody could go with me. And we just kind of, we hated the whole thing. Like everything that kind of that American dream became to represent because it was the debt, it was the time. God, we put four kids in baseball that summer. <laughs> so then we really couldn't do anything. So just realizing that like we hated it and it was like, well, now what do we do? And I started watching, um, let's see, who would it have been? It would have been Keep Your Daydream on YouTube. I don't even remember how I got there, but I saw this family traveling in their RV and it was like tiny. I was like, Ooh, I want to do that. And my husband's like, no, it was a, it was a flat note from Josh. He's like, He'd never been in an RV. He didn't want to give up his big house. He liked having the space for the kids to spread out. He understood like the, you know, felt the same thing I did about being stuck, but he also didn't see a way out. It's, this is what you do. You get married, you have kids, you buy a house, you work your nine to five, like not seeing that there's another option. And I didn't like that. <laughs> so I eventually wore him down is what it came down to. I found a family that had like nine kids in their RV and started like watching those with him in the room and he'd suddenly get glued. And he really liked Mark on Keep Your Daydream. He found him funny. So he'd suddenly start putting his controller down and paying more attention to what I'm watching instead of playing his video game. And eventually one day he goes, let's go look at RVs. Yes, I won. You inceptioned him. I did. So at that point, we said 18 months. I had my web hosting business, but we knew that wouldn't go well on the road. Like I mentioned with his job, like being stuck, always having to have, be there in case of emergency. And let me tell you, business owners, their site being down is like life or death emergency. Like they do not understand like, oh, I'll get to it later today or something like that. So knowing that now immersed ourselves in like the full-time families group and your group, RV Entrepreneur, and being around this and understanding, you know, that Wi-Fi is not always readily available and stuff. I knew that business wouldn't go. So I knew I needed to transition my business to be something more portable and to support us better to replace his income. So we said 18 months. We're going to give ourselves 18 months to sell that business, which we did. <laughs> in your group, nonetheless. <laughs> By the way, I never got my commission on that, so I'll expect to be oh. seeing that. <laughs> Just kidding. It's in the mail. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, must have never got it. That's the downside of not having a home address, so. Oh, maybe that's it. <laughs> anyway, keep going, sorry. So selling that business, the shifting the income, figuring all the ins and outs of going from nine to five with insurance and all that to fully self-employed. Cause you know, we'd been half self-employed for years for you know my business, but bringing him into that and what is he going to do? Because what he did was not transferable to anything on the road that we wanted to do. There's plenty of people that do like the oil fields and stuff, and he could have easily transitioned to that, but we didn't want a job to tie us to being in a certain place. Lots of people, that's what they do. And that's awesome. But we knew that wasn't the answer for us. So we, we knew we needed to transition. So like I said, 18 months, that's what we're going to do. About halfway through that, 
we were in Michigan at the time. We're from Kansas City. Josh's mom came to visit, and we told her. And it was about in nine months we're going to do this. And we knew that when we started telling family, like all bets were off. Like they were going to think we were absolutely insane. And like that was our like commit point. That like once we told somebody outside of basically it was us and our nanny at the time was all that knew what we were planning. Once we told somebody, that was it. So we told his mom. She actually took it really well. We knew she'd be like the most supportive because she loves to travel and is all about like our kids getting like super great experiences and stuff. So we knew she'd see the value in it. That's why we chose to tell her first. The very next day, my husband went to work and got laid off. Mm-hmm. When he told them? You no, know, he told his mom. Oh, okay. Like we told his mom and then the next day he oh, went to work and got laid off. Completely unrelated. They tapped his phone probably. <sighs> I don't know. Like, I think his company laid off a couple hundred people that day across the country. And what was he doing? Uh, Non-destructive testing. So x-rays and UV on pipes and stuff to make sure that nothing's leaking. I'm glad you explained that. I had no idea. Yeah, I usually have like this other explanation about roller coasters and stuff, but it's long. (laughs) But yeah, so it was basically on Metalworks and he was a radiation safety officer. So he got laid off and he called me. He's like, I need you to come pick me up from the office and we got to figure out what we're going to do. So it was like, oh, well, we already had this plan. We said we'd do this in nine months. Screw it, we're doing it now. So by the end of the week, we'd called realtor, we'd listed the house. We'd already been looking at RVs, just visiting lots on the weekends, visiting RV shows, getting a feel for what we'd want, kind of keeping an eye on the used market. And we ended up using his severance pay to buy an RV, took a couple months for our house to sell. And so you know, within a few months we had it all squared away. So having the plan to RV, even though we got into it way sooner, like really saved our bacon because otherwise we would have been with this huge house trying, scrambling, trying to figure out, you know, find a new job. Do we need to move? Instead, RVing gave us that kind of safety net, which was great. And so when was that you said? That would have been 2017. Wow. And then, so what did you do next? So next we ended up spending a year back in Kansas city took our rig we actually didn't end up getting to stay in it very much but getting some financial ducks in order because moving into it without as much planning as we thought we'd had the business was still in shift i had sold the web hosting company but the business that i had switched into was still really growing and establishing a client base and doing those things so staying stationary for a while was really the best thing we could do to get all those ducks in a row and we were there for about a year And then we came to RVE last year. It was like our maiden voyage after that. Nice. Let's get into your web hosting business. So you had a web hosting company. So if anybody is listening that doesn't know what a web hosting company is, can you kind of give the high-level overview for like exactly what that entails? Web hosting, so if you have a website, it has to be hosted somewhere. Like the files have to actually live on a server somewhere. So we were um, had a resale business. We worked with a larger hosting company and had a couple servers. And then I handled a couple income bloggers. I handled their sites for them. So their stuff was stored on my server and I did kind of all the backend tech of making sure they had backups and all their stuff's updated. And it kind of turned into almost a WordPress guru tech. Like instead of going with a big hosting company where you have to go through their live chat and stuff, actually having a person, almost a friend that you can go to, to get things fixed. So it was a very boutique hosting company that I was running with about 20, 25 customers where I was basically their IT person for all things WordPress. Nice. I think we're actually about to hire, up until this point, it's like I've done most of, or a lot of the tech on our website, if it's just like 
updating or building the site and things like that. And I have a lot of help from Paul, my CTO, luckily, but I feel bad about pulling him off of like campground booking stuff to like focus on my personal website. And so we're going to, I think, hire Jill Sessa, who's been to a lot of our summits and things like that to basically just have like a point person for our website. Like, Hey, it's running a little bit slow or like there's this weird wonky thing happening. And like, we don't need those things often, maybe like quarterly, but I think to me, that's a lot of the value in having like a point person to help you manage your site. Like most of the time things are fine. You don't need them. WordPress is pretty straightforward, but every now and then it's like, like somebody makes an update or something and you need to have somebody you reach out to. Right. Yep. Absolutely. And it's actually something I recommend to a lot of my clients that that's an easy thing to outsource that gives you so much peace of mind. I recommend we have a couple, we have some great people in the RVE community that do that. Teresa Ott is another one that she offers that same kind of service. And I love telling people like you can have somebody that does that. It will save you so much time and headache and it's worth the investment because your website's kind of the core of your business and it is very important and you lose sales if something on there is impacting, you know, people actually getting to the point where they give you money. So it's such an important thing to have somebody do. I just got tired of being the person doing it. <laughs> totally. So let's talk about like what you learned in this process. Cause it's kind of led to what you're doing now. Once you guys realized you wanted to hit the road and you didn't want to have to be tied to that existing business, how did you start packaging up the business to be sold? Cause I'm pretty sure that's kind of like what led you into what you're doing now, which is helping clients create systems in their business, because you basically had to get this to a point where it was sellable. So like, what did you actually have to go through and do to make that a business that you could sell to somebody? So luckily I didn't have to do very much because I'd already created my systems in it. So the one thing that I didn't have as part of that business was I actually wasn't marketing that business. It was a hundred percent referral. So the new people coming in could do whatever they wanted with it, which was kind of cool. Like they could put their own brand on it because all I had ever done was use referrals and it started with a web design business. So people came to me and they didn't have hosting. It was easy to just say, here, I'll set you up on mine. Here's what your monthly layout's going to be. So there was no real brand surrounding it. So that was one thing that helped that doesn't apply to most people, but it really helped on me. I was essentially selling part of my business, not a whole of my business, but because I kind of knew from the beginning, like I didn't want to do it forever. I kept that kind of balled up and separate. So it had its own kind of subdomain. It had its own CRM system and the processes, I kept it very, very simple. The packages were very, very simple. So it was very easy to essentially just hand over a couple walkthrough videos to the new owners and a couple sheets explaining the prices and packages. And it was pretty much done. The other thing we did is I did do a 60 day transition with the new owners to kind of babysit and help them, you know, get the things set up that they needed to. So I already had a list of these are the things that you're going to need to set up to make this transition happen. Kind of had a timeline for it, which helped because I knew from setting it up myself and having kind of those steps to, this is what you guys are going to need to do. This is what's in place before I actually hand over the keys. And then this is what you can do afterwards. Um, and really had that prioritized for them. So having my ducks in a row, having it all already separated out, because that is the one thing with web, like domains, like my personal domains and my personal websites, like I had to go back and separate those out. So like just having a real clear lines of what was being sold, what wasn't, and here's what it takes to run that business and making it easy for the buyers. Mm -hmm. Because I think when it ended up, like who I sold it to, I had some large companies make offers, but it was important to me for my clients. They loved having a single person. I wanted to pass it off to somebody that would run it as a boutique, not just absorb it into a bigger company. So 
pitching it to the right person meant making sure it was easy for them to pick up and run with. Totally makes sense. And now most of your energy is being focused on clients and helping them make the transition or make systems in their business. So not necessarily so they can sell it, but just so they can have time to focus on other things or that's growing their business or traveling or whatever. So how did you, after selling that business, and did you just, by the way, I think I remember it, but did you just post it in the Facebook group and say, I'm selling my like web hosting business. Is anybody interested? And someone's like, yeah. Yeah. Okay. That cool. was exactly what it was. So, so if you're thinking about selling a company, go to our RV entrepreneur Facebook group and just post it in there, I guess. And maybe you can sell your business. <laughs> so how did you make the transition? Or I guess the better question is why did you make the transition into what you're doing now with helping other people create processes and systems in their business? So that actually goes like so far back in my entrepreneurial history. Serial entrepreneur is what my husband calls me. I think in the time we've been married, which is about 12 years, I've had a lot of businesses. <laughs> I, I can't count. It's It's been that many. I've done everything from MLMs to running Etsy shops to having a fabric co-op. Eventually, that landed me doing WordPress design and development and web hosting. So what I learned from all of those businesses is there's no unicorn business. The unicorn business is how you create and run your business. So any business can build the lifestyle you want as long as you set it up correctly. Any type of business can, you say, ruin your life, but make your life a living hell if it's not set up correctly because it drains you. So from having experience from being a maker to being a coach, to being a creative, to online businesses and physical businesses, it's seeing those threads that ran through it. And then during like the web hosting and design, also seeing like all the extraneous things that people would come back to me for help with that were kind of outside of what a web designer would normally do, but it would be like, oh, I got my site. How do I onboard clients? How do I deal with email marketing? And just kind of how interlocked all of these things are Everybody wants to piecemeal them, but they're really related. So taking that, there's no unicorn business. It's all about the systems that that's how, what makes a business successful to kind of the holistic view that people need in their businesses kind of led to, okay, well, how do I start helping people streamline and simplify? Because that's what I kept seeing was overwhelmed entrepreneurs. Almost every entrepreneur I knew used that word at least once a week. I'm overwhelmed by my business. I'm overwhelmed by running a business and having a family and going into the RV world just and seeing nomads. And I guess the thing is I kept seeing people that they're living this life and it looks great on Instagram. You always have that shot of the corner of their MacBook with this beautiful background behind it. But when you talk to them hearing that they're not leaving their RVs or they're having to like really scale back and make time to actually get out of the RV and go do the things, even though they're in this gorgeous place, they're seeing it from sitting behind their laptop. And kind of found that depressing as because we were still preparing to get on the road when I started kind of seeing these things align. It was, well, how do I make sure I don't fall into that? I don't want to be traveling on the road and my husband and kids are going out and see cool stuff and I'm stuck behind my laptop to support us. And realizing you have to have a business that supports the lifestyle while also leaving room to live the lifestyle. So it was seeing all of those things come together and realizing I had all these skill sets from all the things I'd done that I can now turn into because every, that's why I kept starting new businesses because I like setting up the systems and processes of it. And then once it actually comes to running it, I get kind of bored. And I used to think that was a flaw. I thought like, oh, I'm not good at falling through. And then I realized that, no, that was me exercising my skill set. Mm. So getting a business done and selling it was what made sense for me because that was my skill set. 
So realizing I could make a business out of a skill set instead of just constantly starting new businesses was kind of a light bulb moment. And then that I could use it to help these entrepreneurs stop being overwhelmed and actually get to live the life they're wanting to build. Because we don't build, we don't ditch the nine to fives to work nine to nine in our little offices, even if there's a really neat background. I feel like we should put that on a shirt. Don't ditch the nine to five to work nine to nine. Nine to nine might be generous. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, I, there's a place for hustle. There's a place for grind. There's a place for, you know, being part of that 5 a.m. club, but it's not sustainable long-term. And I think that's just so many people fall into that because you mentioned this earlier, doing one more thing and adding one more thing and doing one more thing. And then before you know it, there's no way to unravel that ball to cut back and you're overwhelmed and drained and burnt out. And that's when I see, especially in RBE world, people going back to a sticks and bricks, people looking either to go back as a contractor with somebody or to get back to a nine to five because they burn out and that's the only kind of option they feel they have left. Hmm. And that's just not fun. Yeah, totally. At that point, you're kind of looking at it. It is a transitional thing. So I think to some extent, like people living out on the road and traveling full time is not like most 99% of people are not choosing to do this as like, it's going to be my life forever. Most likely, maybe more like 90% of people are not thinking that a lot of time it is like a for the next so many years that it makes sense and we can do it and we're having fun, like we're going to do this. So I think there's probably a good percentage of people who go the other way because of whatever. But I totally agree that from the conversations I've had with people, you know, you're kind of like overwhelmed, but, and you're going back and saying, I need to be stationary because I'm feeling overwhelmed, but there's maybe other things that you could be doing during this time so that you're not overwhelmed and that you can enjoy it. Because I think for me as somebody who creates a lot of content catered towards people who want to go out and live on the road and run a business, my biggest fear is that somebody's like, yes, I want to do this and they go travel and it's amazing. But at the same time, they end up not being able to enjoy it because they spend all their time work. And that's not necessarily on me at all, but I guess trying to do what I can to have people like you on the podcast, I think is really important. And that's why I was excited to have you on because I feel like if you are going to go live this lifestyle, it's great, but you also have to be crazy intentional about not doing too much that you get overwhelmed. So it's funny because Alyssa is reading a book right now. It's called Four Seasons by the founder of Four Seasons Hotel. And he said the number one mistake that people make is trying to do too much. Like that's the biggest mistake in business. So digging into some of the things that you said, you said that any business can be your unicorn business. I think of some like Amazon dropshipping, blogging, whatever, as being kind of ideal for lifestyle entrepreneurs, but maybe you have examples of businesses that don't seem like they can be easily processed out. Maybe you can share some of that because I'm thinking of some that are, you know, heavy client focused, service based, that are a little bit harder to create some processes around, but maybe you have experiences that can help people who have businesses that maybe they're, they're not thinking about them as they should, if that makes sense. Absolutely. So um, I actually mostly work with service and client-based people. I work with some um, that are more content-based, but I do work with a lot of clients. So <laughs> to me, when I start thinking about things that can be templated and systems out, I, I love working with people with heavy client work. So one of the things when I think about any unicorn business, any business can be a unicorn business, is that it all comes down to what do you want to spend your time doing? How do you want to help people? So and some people, it's, I want to help people get a product to the door faster. So, you know, drop shipping is great. Like I want to help people by not being in touch with people. <laughs> so in some cases it, and I think that's something that people get caught up on. They think that, I don't know that they think, but there's some 
hierarchy of nomadic businesses that the less you have to do, the better the business. And for some people, that's the case. For some people, if they can get it almost all automated and contracted out, that's what they want. Other people want to continue to be hands-on. They want to work with clients to make a specific change in their life. If you think about coaches and that kind of thing, we have some great like massage therapists and stuff on the road that their work is very people centered and they want to continue to be that. So I think the first thing that has to be thought of is a business that can be a unicorn business on the road for you isn't saying that it's going to be for somebody else. So just because you want something that is like a hundred percent automated and what's the word recurring income, um, that's not the word I'm looking for. Recurring revenue. No, not recurring where you don't have to do anything for it. I don't know. <laughs> It'll come to me later. Even businesses where it's like that. So like affiliate marketing where it's supposed to be, you put up a bunch of content and it basically runs in the background and you get a check every month. Like that's not really that realistic when you think about it. Like there's no set it and forget it business types that are actually going to be sustainable. People seem to think there is like that, that magical unicorn exists, but that's not necessarily the case. So it comes down to what do you want to do and understanding that. So like in my case, I like working with people. And so I thrive in my one-on-one -on -one sessions with clients and it makes me happy, but I also have to have boundaries that say I can only take this many clients and I'm available to them these hours. And those are the systems that make a client-based business a unicorn business. So it's different for every person. So it all comes down to what do you want to envision? And that's usually one of the first things I make my clients go through is tell me in six months, how do you want to spend your day? How do you want to spend your week? And go down through where are you living? Where are you working? How are you working? Like what tasks in your business are you wanting to do? And a lot of them will come back and tell me, well, on Friday mornings, I'm doing this with clients for a few hours. So I'm like, cool, that means you want to do client work. If it's somebody more content, they may tell me, well, I want to get up and write before my kids get up. Other people that are selling courses may say, well, I want to spend three months stationary and build and launch a course and then have it run and bring me income the other nine months while we're traveling. So really getting down to how does the work fit into your dream lifestyle? helps decide what is a unicorn business for you. And then how do we build in those boundaries to meet the revenue required to support that dream lifestyle while also working in how many hours is it going to take? And so many people say, well, I don't want to work. Like my dream is to work zero hours. And it's like, let's try that again. Let's, let's put on our realistic hat and try that again. How many <laughs> hours are you willing to work to sustain that dream life? And then from that, we can work back and say, okay, here's some business. If you know, either here's how your business can be structured to fit that, or if they're in the very beginning stages, here's some business ideas that meet your skill set, and create that sort of income on that sort of workload. So it's different from people that want to build content to clients. Yeah. What are some of the pain points that people have that you work with as far as like? I think sometimes we have trouble letting go. Like the reason we're overwhelmed is because we're trying to do everything and we're trying to do it all really well. And as a result, we're probably doing most of it like crap. So what are some of the things that people struggle with either letting go or changing when you're working with them? Like, do you see a central thread that a lot of people kind of struggle with? Yes. So two main things come to mind there. First, you're right. They're trying to do everything and they're doing none of it well. That is probably the biggest thing. When the client first comes to me, after we've discussed kind of the dream, like what are you working towards? Because if you don't do that, you're, you're screwed. You can work in a completely wrong direction. You don't have that. The second thing we do is what 
is taking up your time right now because most of the time what I'm hearing is I'm spending too much time on my business and not seeing the results I want. So it's, what are you actually working on? And then I start asking the question nobody wants to answer. I will point to things on their list and say, how does this earn you money? Like, can you draw a direct line from this to your bottom line, your ROI? And if there's no line, why are you doing it? Why is this on your list? And there's so many things where either people don't have the data, so they can't even make a decision, a, a good decision on whether or not that should remain on their list and remain getting any of their energy, or they just don't, they don't know, or they're doing it because somebody told them to do it. They heard on a podcast that they should do Facebook live show or Instagram live show, or that they should have a YouTube channel. When we actually look at their business and what will actually get people paying them money with the least amount of effort there, it's nowhere in that line. If you can't draw a line from every task on your list to where a client pays you money, it probably doesn't belong there. That said, there's a couple of like admin, like bookkeeping and stuff that you still should do. But if you are putting energy into a certain social media platform or a certain content method, but you can't draw a line to your ROI, it's a waste of energy. And so many people are so stuck on, but they said, I need to do this. It's like, who said, why did they say, well, maybe it worked for their business, but their business is not your business. We're in such a info driven world. There's so many podcasts, so many YouTube channels, so many business gurus that you can get a new idea every 10 seconds and think you need to apply it to your business. And so many people do because they think it's going to be the next thing that up levels their business, but either they don't cut something to make room for it. So they're just piling on and piling on and piling on, or they're making room for it at the expense of something that was actually making them money and shouldn't have been cut because they're not making data driven decisions. So that's kind of the first big thing. Totally. Yeah, that makes some, I mean, that's something we're thinking about right now. And I, I think this episode's really timely as people are thinking about like 2020 and what they can remove from their focus. Because I think for us, some things that I've learned and I applied, re-listened to your workshop from our summit last year and made me think about a lot of things that we're focusing on. Because I think there's only so many problems that you can solve in your business at one time. And for me, I've realized that if I can't automate it via like a software, you know, like, so I use Calendly for my scheduling, which is fine. Other people have their own ones that they like, but it works for me and everyone's kind of got their own thing, but I use that. And then other tools for like drip campaigns, like I use ConvertKit, which I really like, or if I can't hire somebody, like we have people that now help us plan our conference. We have people that are helping with sponsors specifically. We have people that are helping with support for campground booking and sales and like all these other things. So it's like, if I can't hire or find a software for it, there's only so many things that can actively consume my mental space for things that I'm really good at. And so I think that that's one thing that I've been trying to figure out is like, what are the things that only I can do and then I can do well, you know, like we could end up saying like, here's my week. I'm going to write an email to my list. I'm going to get on Facebook. I'm going to post on Instagram. I'm going to follow up with sales leads. I'm going to do support and onboarding for a new customer for camera. Maybe it's like an ego thing that you feel like you need to do everything. Maybe that's just in my way, but I think other people may struggle with that too. They do, or I don't have the money to outsource this. That's the other thing. Mm. And that's another area where data-driven decisions is so important. If a task, and it goes back to, can every task on your plate, on your list, can you draw a line to the ROI? Because if you can, then you can work the numbers back. And this is usually where people start faking out on me. They're like, oh, no numbers, nope. 
if you can, then you can decide with that data-driven decision, can I afford the tool to automate or the person to do this? And so selecting the right tools and hiring the right people and hiring was the second thing I was going to tell you that I see the big thing on um, people hire wrong. And it, that can go with tools too. When I talk about outsourcing, I mean either automating or delegating. So I lump those both into outsourcing. And if you're not automating or delegating correctly, it ends up costing you money instead of making you money. So that you know goes back to that data-driven decisions. If you know this task creates this many. So social media is a really easy one to kind of point out. If posting to your Facebook page is never resulting in a client, it's not worth outsourcing, but people will hire somebody to outsource that to without ever looking at that data, because that's an easy thing to hire somebody to do, but it's a waste of money. And then it's a headache because then you're looking for results from this person that they're not getting. And it's not their fault. It's that that was never working for your business. So that's kind of a, a big thing. And so, and a lot of people got burnt. So like they hired a VA and it didn't work out well. So now they think that they have to do it because they had this bad experience because they hired poorly. And then, so that's their ego saying with like proof, it's like giving their ego just ammunition that I did that and it didn't work. So I'm not doing that again. I have to hold on to all of this. It's like, no, you really don't. Um, so it's, it's ego of well, I thought this would work and I'm not going to give up on it. I'm going to keep doing it until it works either because they're unwilling to see the data or they don't have the data to know it's not working mm. or just the ego of, well, it'll take me too long to teach somebody. That's the the big thing. And that's where I see a lot of people that hired a VA and had a bad experience. They didn't communicate well or they didn't hire the right person. There's so many things you need to do before you hire. And the bad thing is we wait until we're overwhelmed to decide we're desperate enough to hire, but then we are so overwhelmed that we cannot create the systems and processes needed to hire properly. You can't hire a VA, have no time to train them, nothing to hand over to them to train them and expect them to do a good job. Because either you didn't hire somebody that needs to do the tasks that actually need doing, like we talked about with hiring somebody for Facebook when Facebook's not creating ROI, or you just can't teach them to do it. And then they're not doing it your way, which just, again, gives your ego ammunition <laughs> that, oh, I, I just need to keep that. So hiring and outsourcing poorly is the other thing. And you're right. That's where people, they hold on too tight. Yeah. Do any specific examples come to mind of like, I know we were kind of talking about a lot of high level things between like outsourcing and tools and things like that, but has there been anybody that you've worked with over the past couple of years? And you can even be your own story of somebody who's come to you with a specific problem and you can change their name if you want to, if you don't want to share of them, like saying they were overwhelmed and like a specific area that you helped them focus on that either gave them time back or decrease that overwhelmed feeling just so we can kind of like paint a central story to kind of go with a lot of these, these great tools and resources that you're talking about. Absolutely. So this was actually my very first client that I worked with when I, after I sold the hosting business. So I'd been kind of doing this in like a side capacity, like somebody hired me for something else and it snowballed into and eh, clean up your systems and processes without ever actually saying that. But the very first client I worked with, I actually went to her. I loved her. She was a photographer. I'd worked with her um, when we had our apparel line. She'd done our spring line photo shoot. She'd done family photos and stuff for us, but kind of become friends. And I'd seen kind of the inside of her business and she'd hired me to build a website for her. But, and then in talking through that, like realizing that she really had no systems in place for contracts and invoices and booking people in. I kid you not, she was doing it with sending PayPal invoices and using the notes app in her phone for when people were coming in, had they paid 
made a deposit, had she sent a contract and she was like snail mailing contracts or emailing a PDF and having them like scan it and send it back and was all over the place and like overwhelmed and booked out, constantly booked out, but couldn't take any more clients and do the work she loved, which was being behind the camera because she was spending too much time chasing people down for deposits, getting people to come back for their appointments to like pick their photos and build their books and stuff, all of those things and starting to really hate her business and hating seeing that this amazing photographer was losing the love for like true passion for this thing that she was really freaking good at. So I went to her and said, Hey, you know, when we did your website, I realized you had these holes. I think I can fix them. And then you can go from only being able to have eight slots a month to having 24 slots a month. And now I think she's actually shooting closer to 60 slots a month. So we went from tiny to scaled. And it's been so fun to watch just the seeds of what I set up with her and how she's scaled it since then, just by putting in some really simplistic systems and processes, but it allowed her to automate using the right tools. So getting her in with a booking software, we started her on Acuity, but we actually moved her to Dubsado so that she could do all of the contracts and everything. It's like all automated. Uh, She was looking at hiring somebody to do this. In fact, she had hired somebody to do it and it had failed miserably, which is why she was back to doing it all herself because ego, ego said, Oh, nope, that person failed when it wasn't the right person. They didn't have the skills they needed to. And really it was better handled by a tool than a person. Now that she scaled and had that system in place, she was able to hire a person to oversee the system, which is yet another skill set. And then because she had all that systemized, she was then able to also hire somebody to come in and do her set designs that she was doing herself. Like it helped her pinpoint other areas in her business where she could delegate once she had a good experience with delegating something else that we built a system around. So it was kind of a snowball effect. I love that. There's so many businesses as we've gotten more into the campground space. I feel like I've been able to see this rather closely because you're so crazy busy as a small business owner. And like a lot of the campgrounds that we've worked with have come over. Like we had one park last year that signed up and they, in 2018, they had taken no online booking. So they're handling a hundred percent over the phone or email. And then it could be like five to 15 minutes exchange. You know, like if you're doing on the phone or even Mm -hmm. through email, like I want to get this site. Is it available? What's your credit card? First of all, that's not secure. And another sense to be sending that type of stuff over there. And sometimes people get bad cards and it's a whole thing. And basically coming in and you're just so used and you're so busy that you're like, oh, it seems overwhelming and it'll be expensive. But then like when you do the math for like these parks and I'm only using this as an example because it kind of is the same for you and so many other people. It's like, hey, you took 5,000 reservations last year and 5,000 times you know, say five to 15 minutes per booking is X number of hours times 12 to 15 bucks an hour that you're paying somebody to do that and still losing, you know, on, on like credit cards and things like that. So when it's like, when you do that math, like if you are doing things in manual that could be easily outsourced via a 10 hour or less setup of a new software or tool, you could get so many precious hours back. And that's why this is, this is so important for people to like take time and think about like, are there things that I'm doing in my daily routine that can be easily outsourced? It's so important. Yeah. Or just not done at all. Like so many people, we call it the cutting the fat section when we do like the brain dump and I have my clients do it on sticky notes so that we can kind of like tile it up through the customer journey or sales funnel. So it's like, 
these are the things I'm doing where I'm like casting the nets for my customers. These are the things I'm doing to then get them further down the funnel, like opt-ins. And then, you know, I'm doing console calls and then here's the tasks I'm doing to actually serve the customer. And then we do like another color sticky note to the side of all the things they're doing that does not relate to one of those things. And it's like, cool. Do you really need to do those? And usually people have as many sticky notes over in that category as they did in the entire customer journey funnel. And it's like, you're doing all of this stuff and it's not related because you're just forced for the trees. Like you're way too close because it's always on your list and you've always done it. And then realizing that, oh, I don't need to do that and cutting that out. And then we go back through. And I, that's just similar to what I talked about in my workshop last year. You know, we do the brain dump and then we go through and does it need to be done? I've kind of added in the data-driven part because I've, after working with so many people since giving that workshop last year, even to help make some of those decisions, because the gut decision of should I do something or should I not is not always right. Because that's where ego steps in and says, no, we, we need to do this where data's going, Mm-mm, not worth it. Um, so adding that in, but then going back through after you've cut, because there's no sense automating something that should have been cut in the first place. That is, that's a big deal. So many people have like created systems around things they don't need to be doing. It's always my favorite to come in and point out, but people's egos get bruised. So you have to, if you want to go through like a true streamlining process, you got to leave ego at the door. He's not a good friend. (laughs) So the first part of this whole process of outsourcing or creating systems is first basically taking a full audit of like, how do you want to be spending your time? What's impacting your business the most? And then kind of taking measurements and looking at them more closely to see what's actually working, what's not working. Yep. So, and then you cut what's not, and then you systemize or automate or delegate what's left. So outsource or systemize. So then, you know, going back through and looking at your tasks and saying, can a tool do this? And is it, you know, with the data we've collected, is it worth having a tool do this? Usually data for tools, not as important. Typically there's a tool that can do it, do it within a budget. And we kind of set a framework for that. It's the outsourcing via delegating that you really have to look at that ROI and making sure that if you're going to pay somebody to do it, you know that, you know, if you're paying them $10 an hour, that $10 an hour is generating you how much in sales down the road. So going through what's left on your list and then creating those systems around it, whether that is a tool an automation or where does it get prioritized when it is left on your list? Because the stuff that's left on your list, that's like golden tasks. If there wasn't a tool or a person that could do it, that is like golden priority. And then how do we make sure those things get done? And you don't see all this free space you now have and go back to adding crap that doesn't need to be there. We could go on and on and on. And I'm excited that you're coming back to speak at the conference in 2020 because you're going to give a main stage talk and talk about a lot of these things. So that'll be really fun. So the last question I have for you is what's the biggest thing that you've learned in the past 12 months now that you guys are out on the road traveling and also continuing to grow this business? You have to be flexible and have a backup plan. Case in point, when we came to RVE last year, the day we hit the road, the siding fell off our RV and we had to circle home and buy a new RV to get there. Kind of always knowing the next step. And that was the beginning of our dream too. We had a plan. We had to be flexible because it got set up. I cannot believe you guys still made it. Nobody would have faulted you for calling and saying, our RV literally fell apart. We're not going to make it. (laughs) But that's just it. I think it's just been such, um, and I think part of that's being a parent too, which I know you're now getting to know firsthand. Like if you want to do something, you kind of have have to have a backup plan that's not tuck and tail running. So, you know, we stayed in some really gorgeous parks this year and not realizing until we got there that the cell service kind of sucked. So always having a backup plan, whether that is, you know, we have Verizon and AT&T backup hotspots, 
but also knowing that if worse comes to worse, I can hop in the truck, drive to where the nearest cell service is good and work from the truck. And like knowing that and having those backup plans, because otherwise it just becomes like one fire drill after another, one emergency after another. And if you're running a business and have a family and doing something as volatile as traveling full time, you cannot like get really hung up on it. it has to be this way. So just open minded and knowing like, okay, this is plan B and sometimes plan C. Um, Cause if you get hung up on expectations, you're done. I love that so much. Well, Danny, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Where is a good place for people to connect with you online? Two places. My website, simplifiedbusinesssystems.com. Um, and then on Instagram at big family minimalist. I love it. Thank you so much, Danny. Thanks. Heath. Hope you enjoyed today's episode with my good friend, Danny. If you want to hear Danny speak in person, we actually still have some tickets available for our upcoming RV Entrepreneur Summit, and Danny will be one of our keynote speakers. She did a workshop last year on creating processes in your business, and it was amazing, and I've really listened to it multiple times since the summit last year. So we still have a few tickets available, and I would love to see you. We're hosting this year's conference at Lake Gunnersville State Park. It's in northern Alabama, March 19th through the 22nd. And it's a really amazing business conference specifically for people like you who listen to this podcast, who are interested in entrepreneurship and also traveling around the country in an RV. So we have four days of workshops and keynotes and meetups all centered around people sharing their experiences and expertise of running a remote business. If you want to learn more and grab tickets while they're still available, you can go to the RVEntrepreneur.com to learn more. And hopefully I will see you there. I will talk to you guys next time on the RV Entrepreneur Podcast.